Yo, Chow, this beat. I'm uptown right now. I'm on my way to the West Bank to put a twist on this thing, you heard? This is the NOFP. With your hosts, Thomas Palmieri and Ronnie Aver. What is up and welcome back to the New Orleans Football Podcast. I am your host, Thomas Palmieri. Seated across from me is co-host Ronnie Aver. Yeah, we're sort of across from each other. Oh, yeah, that's true. Huh? I didn't even think about that. <laughs> that's like how uh, it's, I guess I got to change that up. Um, seated across from me virtually or zooming <laughs> across from me there you is go. my bro, Ronnie Aver. What's up, man? Uh, you know, just hanging out, dude. A little quarantine action. Staying inside, yeah. Hopefully, this thing dies down and we can get back to normal. Yeah, yeah. Are you uh, are you team open it back up or are you just holding on? I'm uh, I'm team follow the experts and uh, just kind of <laughs> do do what you're told from the medical experts. I think that's the way to go, man. Yeah, I listen to uh, smarter people. No, yeah, that's that's no. not my profession. I don't pretend to be that way. Yeah, well, I do. Open it up. Let's do it. No. But, um, <laughs> So, there was some semblance of normal life this past week. What was that, Thursday through Sunday? Yeah. Completely admitting the fact that I, I really only watched the first round. It's, I've told you all that a million times. And then I just lean on Ronnie for the rest of my information. So, we had the draft. It went off without a hitch. First off, first take. Did you rather this or the live draft in like a big auditorium? Um, I thought there was something kind of uh kind of cool about this format and, and really just kind of getting a chance to see um you know these prospects at home with their families and I, I thought it was kind of funny too that clearly there were there were more than 10 people in the background or, or in a different room of the house or something like that because there were a lot of different shots where the camera would go to the prospect and the four people sitting in the living room yeah and somebody would be looking in the background <laughs> telling them to quiet down so that was yeah. pretty funny but uh you know i think i think there was something uh kind of cool about this way. Um, but I also think that just from the, the player's perspective, uh, doing it in, 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 a, in a big way is, is something special for them in that experience. So I guess it kind of goes both ways that they were positive. Yeah. I, the point you made at the end there is like, that's what holds me back from it. But I loved this much more than the big event and Roger hugging up on everybody. Like he's not going to find him to hell next week. Um, <laughs> it, it it just made it feel more personal. It made it feel more human and uh, the reactions in the house. Now, if it wasn't the quarantine, I would expect those gatherings to be much bigger than they were or allegedly right. weren't. But right. <laughs> uh, it still was just more fun seeing them in their house. It, it just put a different twist on it, I guess. Yeah, I think my favorite one, uh, I actually missed it on, on live television, but I saw it later on, the Seattle Seahawks. Drafted, uh, and I honestly, I hate to say it, I don't even know the guys. I'm not even 100% on his name. I want to say it's Sullivan, uh, backup mm-hmm. tight end out of LSU. Really, rarely played in the games. Uh, he was actually drafted by the, by the uh, Seattle Seahawks, and uh, Moss was not. He was picked up later after the draft by the Washington Redskins. So the backup tight end was drafted before the starter for LSU, and his reaction to getting drafted was just as surprising as anyone because he was stunned, dude. I mean, it was, it was yeah. you got to look it up <laughs> if you haven't. It was great. Right. Yeah, I thought, um, speaking of the Saints draft pick, Cesar Ruiz's reaction kind of hit 
hit home with, and showed you how like big a moment this is for some of these guys. And, and that's what I think I enjoyed most about the home draft is they get to enjoy it in the moment on the spot with their family rather than having to walk out and hug Raj and you're instantly on TV. Like you're instantly in front of this huge crowd. It, yeah. you know, put it in perspective more for the people like that were there with them through it all, I guess not to be like overly cheesy, but it was just a, a better look, I think. No, for sure. And, and absolutely. You're right. Now it went the opposite way for other prospects. Uh, one that stood out to me was uh, yeah. offensive tackle um, to Tennessee. Uh, I think Isaiah Wilson, I believe is his name. He came out of, uh, where'd he come out? Georgia came out of Georgia. And, uh, in his in his shot, his girlfriend was in his lap hugging on him, and Mama Bear came in and ripped it off. She was like, "This is his moment, not yours." All time so move it, by the mom there. That goes was like both ways. That was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I guess uh, kind of lost my train of thought there, but yeah, um, I think I'd like to see some kind of like mixture of this going forward. And I think there's a chance you will. I think there's a chance that. Maybe, you know, obviously, I, I don't know the exact number. I want to say it's probably somewhere around the top 40 or so prospects get invited to the actual draft. Uh, uh-huh. Maybe you'll see it to where, you know, guys 40 through 60 or, or whatever the case may be. They may have some kind of home virtual setup for you to continue to get that interaction and, and seeing what's going on behind the scenes. So there's a chance that you may see some mix of it in the future. Uh, so, yeah. so we'll wait and see. But before we get too far into the draft in, in terms of the Saints and, and the NFC South as a whole, I wanted to talk about some news uh, with the Saints. So we see Taysom Hill. Well, hold on. Don't, don't, don't go too far away from the draft. Real quick, last thing I wanted to mention was how gross ESPN was with the – we kind of joked about it. We were all watching it on a Zoom meeting, and it was like a formula of, you know, they would show one, one prospect, they would show just highlights, and that was it. And then the next one, it was like uh, – I don't know, whatever. They would talk about the team that just drafted them. And then the, there was all, it was like every third pick, they were like, cue up the montage of everything that went wrong in the kid's life. And then by the end of the draft, they, was so, they were like looking for things to, to bring up. I mean, at some point, can we, can we write that article a day later and not on the biggest day of the kid's life? Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a... Uh, well, if it bleeds, it leads, and that's what... That comes yeah, from. Yeah, it's but. kind of a trend that you see happening each and every year. That, that somebody somewhere is trying to pull the negatives at, at that point in time. And it's like, again, like you're saying, this is a big moment for, for that kid and his family. And their lives are about to change forever. So let's let's give them that moment yeah. before you start bashing on them. Right. Anyway, that's been covered enough. So, all right, what, what you had? So before we get into the actual draft picks, I wanted to talk about just some Saints news. And, and that being Taysom Hill getting the contract extension, two years, $16 million guaranteed. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the Saints giving him that two-year extension before he hits free agency? Well, I think you can't look at it in a vacuum of just Taysom Hill. I think you got to kind of weigh it out with the whole thing. And and everything that Peyton has said leading up to this makes you think that he believes in uh, Taysom as a starting quarterback. And he keeps hammering at home. The organization keeps hammering at home. And I think the sneaky thing in the draft leads you even more to believe that now seeing the two-year the two-year extension um, is the Tommy Stevens pick. If you're going to craft an offense around a Taysom Hill-type player, 
you better have a backup that looks exactly like your quarterback. We see this when in um, with the Ravens Baltimore. and RG three backing up Lamar Jackson. They're not exact right. like clones of each other, but their play style is very similar. And I think you needed that with a Taysom Hill. If you're going to run that kind of offense, you have to have a backup that can do the same. Yeah, definitely so that pick. It, it, the extension gives me a little belief of that. Now I've heard some of, you know, well then why did they bring in Jameis Winston? And it goes to the fact of exactly what I'm saying is if you're in win now mode this year with Drew Brees, you got to have a backup that can run this offense. And they think right. that that's uh, Jameis more than it is Taysom. I think. If I'm being honest, okay, and and look, you know me more than anyone. I've thrown a lot of shade Jameis Winston's way, bro. I'm just not a fan of the guy. But oh, yeah, uh, we can get to, to that. Be, yeah, if I have to be honest in the sense of look at last year's formula, okay, like you're saying, and, you, and you're right on, is that you're in win-now mode. Taysom's not technically your backup, so to speak. Uh, he's, right. he's in the game plan week to week, mm-hmm. okay? Your backup is going to be on the sideline with a clipboard. And if you look at just straight arm talent, just looking at arm talent, I think that you can make the clear argument that Jameis Winston has a better arm talent than that of what you saw in Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying he makes the proper decisions all the time because clearly you throw 30 picks, you're not making the proper decisions. <laughs> but maybe that's something that Sean Payton and staff can work on, obviously. Uh, at least they think so. So I think you're, you're almost upgrading the backup position in a sense. Yeah. Teddy to Jameis. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but I'm just speaking specifically on skill set, okay? Well, um, right when the shock, like after the shock wore off, right when it came out that that's what we – we were saying all along that the Saints were adding a quarterback. That it wasn't – you weren't going to go into the season with Breeze and Taysom, and that's it. Because then you can't run the Taysom plays, if that's the case. So you had to add a quarterback. And then you start looking at the veterans that are out there, and who is it? It's, you know, Cam and Jameis at the top of the list, and then potentially Andy Dalton for the right package. Or – and then, I mean, the list gets really ugly after that. Then you're talking about real career – Journeyman. I mean, look at what the Patriots done. Their backup is Brian Hoyer. So you knew we were adding a quarterback. Did I see it being Jameis? No, because I thought he would hold out for starter money. But when you get to the contract and it's one point one million, it 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 helps you get over the fact that it's Jameis Winston. Obviously, we can put our Tampa Bay bias aside and realize that what you did is. Last year, but better. That's that's exactly what this is. It's right. you went into last year with the best backup quarterback in football. You're going into this year with the better backup quarterback in football. Yeah, you don't accidentally throw for five thousand yards and thirty touchdowns. Now, yeah. at the same time, you can bring up the interceptions and rightfully so. But who's to say? You know, I don't watch interception for interception by Jameis Winston. So who's to say some of that's not on the receiver? Some of that's not. Oh on, no, you know, no, whatever no, no. the case. A lot of it's bad. A lot of it's bad. We don't have to paint Jameis Winston in a super positive light. It's just exactly what you said. It's 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. He's proven that he can produce. He can produce negative plays as well. And that's why, honestly, I wouldn't want him as a starter. But as a backup, if an emergency situation, he can absolutely come in and win the game. And it it just, you know, we can – I've seen a lot of, like, under Peyton and Breeze, he can only thrive. Well, 
I mean, he was under Arians last year and threw 30 picks. Arians turns quarterbacks like it's nothing. You know, he could turn pretty much – his years in Arizona when he was winning game after game with straight-up journeymen, not even like talented backups, just journeyman quarterbacks. Well, I think, too, the, the thing that you kind of highlight in this is that um, when you kind of – because, I mean, really, you got to have to look at it from a Jameis Winston to Teddy Bridgewater. I, not so much like could you have brought back Teddy. No, Teddy was going on to be a starter, and we all knew that. But right. uh, I think having a backup that you feel confident in saying that he can give you more than six yards per pass uh, on average is really what you want to see, someone that can still push the ball downfield. Now, mm-hmm. uh, he's coming from Tampa, like we said, with, with uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Um, and he's coming into a system that has a better offensive line. You can make the case that Mike Thomas and now Emmanuel Sanders are, are, are right at that level with those two, uh, maybe a, a notch below only because Sanders isn't Godwin. But uh, my point is, is that you have a backup that you think can, can push the ball downfield yeah. um, a little more than what we saw with Teddy when he was under the helm. Yeah. Here's my question. Would you rather, if you're the Carolina Panthers – would you rather Teddy Bridgewater or James Winston? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess this is my thing. I wouldn't want Jameis leading my team. No. As like you said, <laughs> as the starter. So I would go, I would probably go Teddy in that scenario, solely due to the fact that I want my quarterback to be a leader. I want my quarterback to, to be able to command the huddle and, and not look like, you know, not look foolish, so to speak, when they eat a dub, right? On. So yeah, when no eating dubs. So, no, I, and from that perspective, I would probably go with Teddy. Uh, but as a backup, I would go with Jameis simply because I know the ceiling may be a little bit higher there. So if I do need to use him, uh, I'm, not, I'm not basically selling the playbook over. I'm, I'm going to be able to kind of pick up where we left off with the injury to the starter. So I would go okay. Teddy for the start, Jameis for the back. Is there anything to that – what do you think is more likely? This is a one-year rental – He's our backup because we're all in right now. And if Breeze were to go down, we think he could plug in and serviceably run the offense. Or, like, do you think they went into it thinking that is it? Or do you think they went into it as this is a potential long-term plan? We're going to get him in the building for $1.1 million this year. But it's kind of an extended tryout for our future. Yeah, I think you can almost kind of look at it both ways. I think there's no doubt the the current thought is mm-hmm. to win that window and that right. this guy gives you a high ceiling backup. I think that is the current thought. Um, but in terms of future after Drew Brees, I think it's interesting in a sense of you give Taysom a two-year deal, which obviously shows him that you're committed to giving him a legit chance, right? Um, but you also give Jameis Winston a chance that not many other teams were giving him, showing him that you still think he's deserving to be in the league. So it's kind of a loyalty thing at that at that point. So when next year the uh, the contract comes up for Jameis, maybe the Saints feel like they have the upper hand at, at re-signing him to a two three year deal because yeah. hey look we pulled you out of out of the rut that you couldn't get a, a contract and we gave you one. So what could you turn around and do for us now? So I think it it is kind of a situation of uh, uh, it's our window high back. It's a future look to say we're going to give Taysom a shot with that two year extension. He's going to have the shot but it's going to be an open competition, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, I think it kind of goes both ways. But as far as the current, I think it's more so the win-now mentality. Have a, have a quarterback that can run the system and still utilize Taysom Hill the way that we want to utilize him in the offense game to game. Yeah. 
So is there any way Tommy Stevens makes this roster as Taysom's backup? No, what I think will end up happening, uh, I think his best shot is obviously to uh, maybe beat out um, your boy, uh, what's his name, JT Barrett with the practice squad. Um, yeah. Solely due to the fact that from what you read on Tommy Stevens, I mean, he wasn't ultra productive as a passer in the league, but that's because he's, I don't think he's ever was really the starter at any, at any point. Um, but in terms of just a, a true athletic specimen, I mean, six foot five, 235 yeah. pounds. And I, well, a, I've read a lot. Four year player at Penn state, but I don't think he started. And then he no, transferred he to Mississippi state this year and played I believe got games. hurt. Yeah. Yeah. He played in nine games. Um, yeah. but one of the, one of the things I was reading up on him and I found interesting was, is uh, total touchdowns in his collegiate career uh, that weren't throwing the football. He had 14 non-throwing touchdowns. So mm-hmm. clearly you see the track in which Sean Payton is thinking, maybe even when a guy like Taysom takes over or whomever the future is, maybe you found yourself the, the, Taysom, the Taysom Hill roles, so to speak, in our offense with a bigger version. Uh, now yeah. I will say this, looking into – I was trying to find the 40 time on him just to see how he matched up athletically to Hill – and I kind of got a variety of of, uh, of answers. I, I got anywhere from a four four to a a four seven. So he's somewhere in that range. Obviously, you see that he's an athlete. He came out as a dual threat out of mm-hmm. high school. So um, yeah, I, I definitely think he's a, a potential practice squad guy solely due to the fact that if Taysom does take over, like you're saying, you want to have someone in house to kind of play a similar role. Right. All right. You want to talk draft picks? Yeah. So um, I really thought that. The whole, I guess, theme behind this year's draft was kind of addressing present and future concerns. Um, to start off round one, you know, we take. <laughs> well, isn't that the theme of every draft? Yeah, well, yeah, sometimes it's upside. Sometimes <laughs> it's, you know, certain traits you're Outside for. of the Carolina game. Panthers, I think everybody's theme is maybe we get somebody for now and hopefully he works out in the future. <laughs> the Panthers no, are man, like, I'm talking no, what, what stinks? Our defense? All defense. <laughs> all in. All in. I actually love it. Um, you know, you, you target an issue and you go get it. But but for, for my point is, you know, with Caesar, uh, the center out of Michigan, I think first and foremost, the, the, the thing that comes to my mind is do they have Caesar graded higher coming out of college as a center than they did McCoy? My guess would be yes, due to the fact that Caesar was the first rounder and McCoy was the second rounder. Uh, so does that mean that Eric McCoy then moves to guard and competes with Larry Warford at the right guard position? You know, Pete is solidified with his contract extension. So it really yeah. comes down to who's going to play what. Is it going to be McCoy at center because he had a solid year? And that's kind of my thinking in a sense of I'm never a fan of you bring a guy in, a rookie in, and he has a productive year, and then you change his position the following year. I'm not a fan of that. You look at Stephon Anthony. I really thought if you would have asked me his rookie year, what's his future? I would have said, dude, he's the Mike Backer for the next eight years. They switch him outside, and he kind of falls off the map, and, it, and it's kind of hard to understand. But I guess from a schematic standpoint, it just didn't fit for him. So yeah, I hope that's not the case for an Eric McCoy because he was highly productive, I think, at the center position this year for us. But at the same time, if you had the belief that he could play guard and Caesar is a higher grade at the center position for you, then I think more, more than likely you're going to see Caesar play center, uh, McCoy get pushed to guard, and then that would mean that the Warford contract can be dealt with. And we've been talking about the Warford contract for a while now, uh, even prior to the free agency period, that it was a huge number for an interior lineman um, that, that I really wasn't comfortable with. And obviously the Saints weren't either. So with his contract, I was kind of surprised. And again, you have, there's, there's more than just, hey, let's trade the guy. There's the cat, the, his contract comes into play, his age comes into play. And what teams are even interested in that is obviously the big point. But 
I was kind of surprised that he wasn't at least uh, a little more publicly out there in terms of availability from a trade during the draft yeah. for a later round pick or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Just because that's sticking the on the, the day, uh, no, he's 28 years old. He'll be mm-hmm. 29 next month or, you know, June, July, somewhere in there. So you're telling me that a, a team later in the draft, fifth round, sixth round, even whatever the case may be, isn't willing to take on his contract if they have the room and, and not direct, not set up for a six round guard. That's what, what I was kind of thinking. But at the end of the day, it didn't happen. So now you're looking at he's going to compete with one of the young guys. And look, if Caesar and we obviously know McCoy can play. If Caesar shows that he could play at that level of a starter, I think Warford's the odd man out simply because of the contract. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the pick and the uh, just straight-up meltdown by Saints fans that because we didn't <laughs> draft Queen there. Um, yeah, Patrick Queen, hometown. I don't – I feel like every year we come out of the draft saying, you know, Mickey, Jeff Ireland, and Peyton have earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to drafting. That just because fans are in love with the guy, <laughs> LSU fans, um, it doesn't, it, you know, we've seen time and time at, again, the Saints know what they're doing. This iteration of the Saints front office knows what they're doing. And this was like a carbon copy of the Ryan Ramchek situation. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching that Ryan Ramchek draft and being like, what? Like tackle, a year later he's an all pro. Right. <laughs> if so, if Peyton and Ireland and Loomis felt this strongly about this guy, and you look at it in the context of the Larry Warford contract, then you like this is going to be a move point. We're not even be worried about linebacker when our offensive line has three all pros that have all been drafted in the last four years. Outside of, yeah. I mean, with Ryan Ramchak, Eric McCoy, and Cesar Ruiz. Yeah, no doubt. And then, honestly, if you keep looking across the line there, um, I'm going to pull up here. I had it saved. I believe four of the of the five were under the age of 26. Yeah. Or right at the age of 26. Yeah, because Pete right was yeah. like 15 when he so was drafted. Pete, Pete, yeah, Pete's 26. Armstead is the old boy at 28. Ram's 26. But that's always interesting. I didn't think Pete and Ram were the same age. Um but obviously Pete was a young a younger draft prospect. So Pete Ram 26, McCoy 22, Ruiz 28. Uh, I'm sorry, Ruiz is 20 and Warford is 28. So you'll have four of your five potential starting linemen under the age of 26 um and three of them on rookie deals. So that that's obviously uh big for for other contracts that you have to spread out across the roster. Look, if yeah. you if you flat out cut Warford, which again, I don't want to disrespect the man. The guys came in coming to New Orleans and it played at a high level. Now, I saw reports that his play dipped from, from what the coaches were expecting from him. Uh, kind of hard to notice by the eye because of the production of the offensive line as a whole. But yeah. apparently there was some there was some concerns from a coaching staff perspective on what he was doing well, week in and week out. It, it, it's funny how short our memory is because coming out of the Minnesota game, we lost that game because of interior line pressure. Right. So a, a high – round investment in the interior line, I guess, honestly, we should have saw this coming a mile away, that we were at least yeah. going to bring some competition in. Sure. Right? Sure. Yeah, I think I think all of that plays a role in, in the decision. Um, if they release Warford, it'll save them $7 million against the cap. It'll be $5 million in dead money. Um, but again, that, that $7 million is obviously a big savings this year and moving forward into the next 
uh, off season well, in 2021. Yeah, how long play. is that? What He's on one year left on his deal? Yeah, Warfare. he's a free agent this upcoming off season as well. Yeah, I think more likely he stays on the roster and we just don't I reset him. Yeah, I think so too. I think it would be foolish to – because at this point, unless there's a, a veteran free agent out there that, that you're looking at and saying, hey, I want to add this dude to this team right now. And for me, that's um, a guy like Ryan Logan, cornerback uh, from Tennessee last year. I've always been a big fan of Ryan Logan. He's still a free agent, so that's someone that I could see coming in right away and actually mm-hmm. contributing – uh, in, a, in a now circumstance. So if there's a guy out there that the Saints deem like, hey, this guy can can play for us right now versus keeping Warford that may get beat out by one of these younger guys and be on the bench for $12 million a year, that would be the only reason I could say let him go. But yeah. if there isn't that person out there that you that you covet, then I say you keep him and you have the, you have the depth. Right. Well, I think we've just seen how valuable the – offensive line depth is when you have a guy like Armstead who's always hurt and Pete who's two years in a row missing time. Um, So I think it's just, it makes it that much more valuable that your backup offensive linemen are Nick Easton and Larry Warford. Yeah. I mean, that's the starting side of most lines, (laughs) you know, from a talent perspective. Look, maybe, maybe Warford sees this as a slap to his face and steps up. And and really gets back to the level that we thought he was. When yeah, we he's going to compete. I mean, it's not going to be. Oh, of course just, he is. He's not. He's not some schmuck. You know what I'm saying? Right. He's going to come to play. Right. Yeah, he's not just going to so get out of the way for the young guy. I just kind of like I laughed at how spoiled we are that linebacker was the position we're melting down over when the Saints have shown time and time again that they just don't care. They're going to invest in the offensive line at all costs. Yeah, and I'm and glad they, so. they have that mindset. Yeah, I think that's that's the way you have to think. You have to have the trenches in place uh, on both sides of the ball in order to find success long term. If you don't, if you build from the outside in, you're not going to be successful. You have to build from the inside out, and I'm a firm believer in that. So, with that being said, we get upset about the fact that we passed on Patrick Queen. Uh, Patrick Queen, and look, obviously, you know, you like the upside, the athleticism, the sideline, the sideline, all the all the traits that he can bring to the defense is phenomenal. But look, we turn around and we get a steal in round three. Uh, Zach Vaughn, who was objected first rounder at a point, falls all the way down to round three. I'm hearing yeah. some some slight injury concerns. I'm hearing uh, there was a diluted test, things of that nature at the combine. He was um, trying to gain look, weight. We've taken guys. <laughs> yeah, we we've we've taken guys with injury concerns in the past. You yeah. look at Lattimore with the hamstring issues. We still took them, and it worked out to, to the point that it is now. So Ryan whatever the situation is. No, Lattimore. He had the hamstrings. Yeah, but in college, Ramchek was injured in college too. Oh, well, there you go. So pretty sure. Uh, but my point is, whatever the case may be for Zach Bond falling, obviously the Saints see it as something they can manage. And I think that uh, he's a he's a player that look in college. He was known for his pass rush. He was known for his backfield production, tackles for loss, and, and that's something that excites you. Obviously, as a defense and. Um, Listening to Sean Payton's press conference after the draft, he was talking about how he sees Zach filling in as either a Mike or a Sam. Yeah, and I recall Saturday morning, Ronnie, um, somebody texted you about Vaughn? Yeah, I'm not sure what you're talking about, Thomas. No? No, you don't remember a very early morning text. It was probably like an 8 a.m. text. 
referring to the fact that the Saints were just going to trade the rest of their draft, move up, take Vaughn in a second, I thought. Yeah, yeah, you were, uh, you were actually, you had two good points there. You had the trade up for Vaughn, and then you had the trade, you had the, uh, the part in which you said trade the rest of the draft. That ended up being later on. They actually did follow <laughs> your yeah. advice there for a different player, but, uh, but no, yeah. you, were, you were right on, dude, with, with the Zach Vaughn take. You know, you did say to all of us, you're like, man, I think we need to just move up and take him. I mean, we slot and let's go get him. And sure enough, that's what they did. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to bring that up. It didn't add anything more to this conversation, but it's just, you know, you get a win. You got to make sure people know. It feels good being right, huh? just feels good winning one. <laughs> I hear you, man. Um, so, so, yeah. I, yeah, go on. I think just, again, just to finalize the thought on him, I think it's just it, it'll be fun to see how they use this guy. Obviously, his versatility uh, as a pass rusher. Uh, his production in the backfield, like I said before, and, and kind of on the ball, off the ball type guy, sideline to sideline speed. So we'll see. Maybe, you know, us us passing on Patrick Queen, there's a chance that the Saints had Zach Bond, you know, Queen 1A, Bond 1B type situation. Yeah. And you you walk away with, with a, a top flight interior prospect on the offensive line and you walk away with a linebacker that they had graded obviously pretty high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after that uh, – the next point you were making in your in your bold prediction that morning was trade the rest of the draft picks. Because, look, we talked about, ideally, when you look at the roster as a whole, how many spots are actually available for these late-round draft picks to even make the team. And, and looking at it, I could see somewhere around 8 to 10 um, roster spots being up for competition. Not so much up for grabs, but just up for competition. And in those eight to 10, there's probably four or five of those guys that I have no idea. Sean Payton and the rest of the staff think very highly of from a special teams perspective. So it may even be lower than that. So the idea that they were willing to trade away the remainder of their picks to move back up into the third round to select Adam Troutman tight end out of Dayton um, was pretty interesting to see that move overall. I mean, in that trade, you gave the Vikings, and that was kind of the, the biggest shocker for me is that it included the Vikings of all teams. But um, you gave them picks 130, 169, 203, and 244. Looking at the players that were selected for the Vikings in those picks, James Lentz, a defensive tackle out of Baylor. Again, a high motor, um, pretty fairly high production really for Baylor. Um, cornerback Harrison Hand uh, out of Temple, which I thought was interesting. Those two players, um, look, Matt Rule, the new head coach in Carolina, obviously coming from Baylor, he coached James Lynch. And then um, I'm not sure if he was at Temple at the time Harrison Hand was, but if I had to guess, I would say he was at least in the beginning stages of Harrison Hand's uh, career. So there's a good chance that Matt Rule brought him to Temple in a recruitment process. So the Vikings walk away with two of the ex-players from the new, a new head coach in the NFC South. It's kind of like a little uh, interesting tidbit there. But, but yeah, Adam Troutman, um, look, six foot five, two fifty five. Had a really productive uh, career at Dayton. Again, you, you're talking about lower-level competition, but we've seen this before. We've seen the Saints take chances on small school guys, and, and it worked out. I mean, you look, look at Akeem Hicks and the, the type of career he had for us and, and then even moving forward with, through his career. You look at uh, Trey Hendrickson on, on the roster currently, another small school defensive end, and I thought he's been – he's lived up to the draft stock and, and, and what we put in him. So, well, obviously, at, I think – At that position, you look at Jimmy Graham. Sure. Third round pick out of Miami. Uh, and at the time, all we knew of him was he played, he played basketball too. So yeah. I think uh, so, with this guy, 
I think the interesting thing with him is just kind of looking at a little bit. I, I mean, obviously it's hard to find uh, a lot of game film on, on Dayton games, but uh, I did see a couple of games and he kind of comes off to me uh, as, as a little bit more athletic, like Jason Witten type. And what I mean that by that is just sure hands. Uh, he, he's going to find a way to get open. He's not going to beat anybody with this crazy athleticism, but he does have a, a, a wide catch radius. And, and I think, someone that you could just count on to, to show up and, and get to work. So I think it'll be interesting to see if, yeah. if Sean Payton covets a guy at a small school and is willing to trade away that many draft picks to get up and get them. Yeah, by all means. Plan in place. Right. Plan in place. Um, watching his highlights, am I wrong for thinking Dan Arnold? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, look, no, I'm not going to say that you're wrong. Um, there's Dan Arnold's excitement after the catch when it comes to uh to Adam from what I've seen it's just kind of straight line you catch me you, you grab my legs and I fall there's not much uh you know elusiveness yeah. so to speak but again dude at the end of the day when it's third and short and you just need a short thing uh, you know I'm not mad at it okay yeah and this is one of those you know it's not a glaring hole on the roster now but Jared Cook's only under contract through this year and, right. and, and are you going to die and overpay for an aging tight end again with no you know, backup plan in place now. Correct. So again, when I talked about addressing present and future concerns, I think that's exactly the thought process here is not only do we have someone to potentially take over for Jared Cook after this year, Jared Cook is still the starter. Let's not get it twisted. But I do think there's a world in which the Saints are looking at these other teams around the league that are using two tight end sets more often than not and are having a lot of success with it because the problem is, as a defense, okay, if you have your nickel package on the field and you're facing a two tight end look, okay, 12 personnel is what it's called, you're facing a two tight end look and you have your nickel corner trying to cover a six foot five, 255 pound tight end, you're going to lose that match every time, dude. So yeah. really it's a, it's, a, it's a personnel game. It's a matchup game. If you can find a way to sneak that extra tight end on the field and catch the defense slipping, they're going to have to use timeouts or they're going to have to adjust or just play in a mismatch. So um, that's really what that does, I think, for an offense. It's just trying to find mismatches. If you could put two tight ends on the field at once, you could play big man ball against little man defense, and more times out of not, if you run it right, you can win that matchup. Yeah. So we already kind of discussed Tommy Stevens enough. Um, yeah, right. I mean, you traded back into the seventh, so apparently they like something. But yeah, um, right. I don't think we need to spend too much time there. Coming no, out no. of the draft for the Saints. Okay. Is there any position that you went into it hoping we would address that we didn't? Um, I think cornerback for me was, was one that I would have liked to have seen us come away with one. Now, again, it all comes down to who's available at your, at your selection. So um, maybe that was the case. And, and the, at some point in the draft, maybe they had a guy on their board that they were talking about moving up for and, and just didn't have the, the capital to do it or whatever the case yeah. may be, didn't have the, the team to trade with. That's one of the only positions that I still have circled in a sense of like, I'd like to see a little more depth. Now for me, I, I've been very clear on this. I, I think you need to have Chauncey Gardner as your nickel corner um, over PJ. And I'd actually like to see PJ get some more reps at safety. And if we play some type of three safety set or a, a big nickel, so to speak. So, um, cause you, you know, your starters are going to be Williams and, and Jenkins. So I don't want to see Chauncey get wasted. I think he's, clearly the best option to play the nickel corner with what's available for us. Now, moving forward, 
the conversation comes, well, can, can Chauncey Gardner be the, the starting safety and you move on from Williams? But that's later on down the line. So cornerback was one that I would like to have seen us address just to add some more depth at the position. Um, because if one of the starters goes down, one of the perimeter starters, Lattimore or Jenkins, now you're talking about rolling with P.J. Williams and Patrick Robinson again. And we've already seen that. We know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not something that I feel great about, so to speak. So no. I'm not crazy about the, the perimeter depth, but I do like the options at least that you have at the nickel spot. Yeah. Yeah, I saw an interesting stat from um, the Saints beat writer, Nick Underhill, uh-huh. about P.J. playing against tight ends last year. And it, I don't have it pulled up, so I uh, should have probably maybe done a little more research. But um, it was pretty interesting. It was like two catches through the year when he was lined up at in the nickel, you know, facing a tight end. So he's he's come a long way from what we knew of him. And what I think is interesting about that point is when I was watching the Vikings game, okay, the last playoff game, obviously we, we remember the Kyle Rudolph uh, catching the end zone on P.J. Williams. I remember thinking to myself before the ball was snapped, oh, no, P.J.'s by himself on the mm-hmm. left-hand side against six foot five Kyle Rudolph with no one, no one to help. That, I, and you could, ask, you could ask my wife. I literally said that she has no idea who I'm talking about. But All right, get her in like, here. Let's ask. I was like, dude, the left side, this isn't good. The left side, somebody help, somebody help. And sure enough, that was the mismatch that they were looking for. So do I think PJ has a, has a place? Most definitely. I, I, am, I, am, I, I like PJ Williams. I really do. But I almost feel when it comes to PJ Williams that there are times where he truly impresses me in terms of open field tackling. He really, there are times where I come away like, man, PJ came up and laid a lick right there. Um, and there are times where in zone coverage, PJ plays the ball well. He's, he's, he's in, in position to make a play on the ball. So what does that speak to me? Maybe he's a, maybe he's a free safety. Maybe he's um, not meant to play perimeter corner and, and, or even the slot in, in certain situations, which, I mean, in that, in that circumstance, I can understand why they want him to play slot because he is a better tackler than some of the other corners, maybe yeah. Patrick Robinson, so to speak. But, um, man, I just, I just feel like um, you could have a, a situation on your hands where he's, he's maybe being misplayed. And uh, would it shock me one bit if P.J., you know, life after the Saints, if, that, if that's the case for him, and he goes on to another team and, and they say, look, let's give him a shot at safety. I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star, but wouldn't shock me one bit if you saw some fairly high production out of him at a different position. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a guy that had the coverage ability and the speed to deal with tight ends and maybe receivers isn't his spot. Um, Speaking of the Vikings play. I'm not saying that. The Vikings play, he was in position. That wasn't P.J.'s fault. No, 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 no. I'm with you. He pushed off. Rudolph pushed off. Pushed off, and I think there was some some size Um, uh, concerns there. But The stat I was looking for was P.J. covered a tight end on 83 snaps last year. He was targeted five times and gave up two two catches for 12 yards. Now, one of those catches ended our season, but (laughs) that's still pretty good numbers. Um the year before that, he covered a tight end 61 times and gave up two catches. So, he's, Yeah, well, he I, it really comes down to this with, with that stat. It really, to me, it really comes down to who's the tight end. And what I mean by that is what is the skill set of the tight end? If it's not, uh, you know, like, like, for instance, Kyle Rudolph, obviously he has the size and the athleticism to go about his game, whereas maybe the, the other cats in that statistic that P.J. is covering they may not have that same uh, physical build, physical strength, 
and the athleticism to go along with it. So then he may match better with those guys because the quick, the quickness beats out, you know, the, yeah, not as good an athlete, so to speak. So yeah, I guess there's different factors that come into that, I would think. But, uh, but at the end of the day, look, I'm glad to see him back. Uh, but I would have liked to address that position in the draft at some point, giving us a little more depth on the outside. Just, just solely due to if someone goes down, I think you're kind of going to wish that you address that position. Yeah. You can only do so much. I mean, you got the picks that you got. You can only do so much. If you don't have a guy uh, graded high enough, you're not going to force the pick anyways because he's not going to make the team. So you right. go off your board and you just follow it. And look, there was a report after it was all said and done uh, Mickey Loomis came out and said that all three of these prospects, not including uh, Tommy, the quarterback, but all three of the prospects and Caesar Bond and Troutman were in their top 40 on their big board. So to walk away with that on the roster that we currently have, and you get to add three players that you consider a top 40 prospects. That's a pretty good win in my book. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the one position, I think you had kind of mentioned it, actually going early on this position and I kept putting that down because I kept saying it was running back is that there's a ton in this draft and I really thought we'd come away with one just to try to restock the pantry there see if we can get somebody in-house before that big Kamara deal hits and maybe you'd have the the ability to say "Eh, you know we got this new guy um but I mean you're going forward with Kamara and Latavius Murray who obviously you invested a lot in last year uh, it just seems like a, pos- a position at times last year that could use a shot in the arm when Kamara was banged up. Yeah, and I think that's really what it comes down to. And, and for me, when I was talking about running back, I was talking – I was going a little left field. And I was thinking outside the box, and I was saying, man, look, just go get, just go get Swift. First uh-huh. round, forget about it. <laughs> Take a guy that you know is going to be ultra productive. Reminds you – at least reminds me a lot of Josh Jacobs that's in Oakland right now. Oh, I'm sorry, Las Vegas. Um, and my whole point was simply, I don't want to have to pay the second contract of a running back that's going to cost you $12 million plus annually um, when you can get a guy in like Swift and get another four to five years, obviously five if he was a first-round pick, five years of high production um, at a low cost. And that's what we've gotten with Kamara to this point. I don't think Kamara has hit you for more than like $2.5 million, um, a season in terms of his rookie contract, I think that was the most right. he's made in a season. So to get that kind of production at that number allows you to move that money elsewhere. Uh, obviously, life after Drew Brees is a big conversation. And so you're going to need as much money as possible if you're going to go after uh, a big-time quarterback prospect in any fashion. So for me, uh, I was kind of looking at it from that perspective of like, I know, or at least I feel really confident in the fact that a guy like Swift or a guy like uh, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, one of those type cats, are going to be ultra productive. And I think that for the most part, if a running back has a first round grade on them, and uh, obviously you can see the production at the college level, a lot of times that's going to translate uh, more so than not. So it's almost nothing's guaranteed, but you feel like at that position, the running back position, you see it more, more so than not that if they're graded high, they end up producing in the league. Yeah. Now, so moving on from the Saints, um, yeah. does that kind of wrap up? Your draft takes. What did you? Yeah. You want to give a letter grade? What's your letter grade? Uh, <laughs> again, I mean, look. I think anytime you can walk away, if they truly felt like those those three guys were in their top forty prospects as a whole, I think you, you can't say anything less than a B if that's the case. So, yeah. Uh, with those the three guys that I what that I personally would have taken, maybe not. But I'm not. I'm not working for the Saints. I'm not a uh, GM. So worse than uh, 
worse than mock drafts is post draft grades. Easily, yeah. the worst yeah, thing yeah. we've invented in uh, sports media is draft grades. So yeah, eight plus, plus, um, plus, there plus. There you go. I'm with you. I'm with you. But, um, but looking around, but the division, if I had it, hold on. If I had a graded draft, if I had to, gun to my head, Packers F minus. <laughs> We're gonna get to the Packers at the end of this. <laughs> Let's stick real quick in the division. Let's just kind of take a quick look around and see what Tampa. Carolina and Atlanta did and do we foresee any one of these teams potentially uh upsetting the Saints rank as, as the crown of this division uh let's look at Atlanta first um the first two picks I, I will I will be honest I was a fan of, of both of these guys AJ Terrell cornerback out of Clemson and Marlon Davis edge I think he's probably going to play the three tech for Atlanta out of Auburn uh they also took Matt Hennessy center out of Temple after that um, not really sure if any of the guys are going to make the roster, possibly a uh, special team type situation. But as far as potential day one contributors, uh, I would say the first two picks more so than anything, A.J. Terrell and Marlon Davidson. Obviously, for the, for the Falcons, there was, a, there was a huge void in the secondary. Yeah. Um, they, they took a big hit. And A.J. Terrell should match pretty nicely with uh, Oliver that they drafted uh, two years back. But I still don't think what they did in the draft – is going to be enough, so to speak, to uh, overthrow the Saints and where we're heading in terms of uh, taking the division home. So I don't know where you stand on that. I mean, I, I guess no, I mean it, it was a where you stand defensive on. backfield that was pretty bare last year and, and a non-existent pass rush. And adding one corner and one defensive lineman, I don't think it really addresses what they needed to. Yeah. Now I guess looking at the big picture, you also have to consider what did they bring in through free agency. Uh, Todd Gurley, I, I would say, is, is an obvious upgrade to Devontae Freeman, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Hayden Hurst, the tight end, I wouldn't say it was an upgrade because I think Hooper was better. But in terms of if you knew you were going to lose Hooper to free agency, bringing in a guy like Hayden Hurst to fill the void, I think uh, it could have been much worse. So I think yeah. overall, uh, you bring in Gurley, you bring in Hurst, and you go ahead and, and bring a player into the secondary, Nadia Terrell, and you bring a, a Probably a starter. I would think Tyler Davidson now becomes the rotational inside guy for them. Uh, yeah. But Marlon Davidson, well, a, a really productive player coming out of Auburn. I think they got better in that sense. I just don't know. Um, I think the thing the thing that's weird to me, when you look at Atlanta's roster, the linebacker core is still, a, a, I think, a, a concern for them. Um, and I still think the secondary could use some tweaking. But outside of that, I don't know if it's so much that they don't have the talent. I don't think that's the case at all. I, I just think there's a weird – uh, and I really don't know. I can't pinpoint it. There's just there's an element to that team that for some reason it's not clicking. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, don't well, think they're the team to uh, to upset this year in terms of the division. No, I don't either. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it. But there was a point last year where Dan Quinn was as good as gone, and then probably saved his job with the way they played towards the end of the season. But right. we said we've said it since the Super Bowl game that they lost is the Patriots stole their soul. Like, they will never recover until they blow that thing up and start it all fresh. So, that's the Atlanta. Okay. Moving Let's on. Let's move Panthers. to Carolina. All yeah, the moving to Carolina. Yeah, the entire draft went def- defensive side of the ball, which I thought was pretty funny because you bring in uh, your boy Brady from LSU to, uh, to run the offense in Carolina, and all mm-hmm. you do is, is give him Teddy Bridge and uh, Robbie Anderson in free agency in terms of uh, helping out the, the skill players. Now, they did bring in a couple offensive linemen. So we'll see how that works out for him. But just based off the draft here, um, 
they get, a, I really think, a, a serious, serious player with the seventh pick. And, and so this happens every year. You have a guy that's really top three, uh, just true prospect. And because of positional need and, and, and things of that nature, guys like that will drop. And, and that's what I think happened right here. Derek Brown falls all the way to seven when really you could have made the argument that he could have went to three to the Lions. Um, but he falls into the lap of Carolina. And I knew there was no way they were passing on this guy. They bring him in uh, to help plug up the middle of that defense. And then they go right back after that, continue on the defensive line. They bring in the uh, tour gross Matos, defensive end out of Penn state. And then they rounded out with Jeremy chin safety from Southern Illinois, small school prospect, but was getting a lot of hype due to his athleticism and his physical traits. There was a couple of the guys, Troy pride cornerback out of Notre Dame. I think he'll, he'll probably, uh, I think there's a good chance you'll see him starting opposite of uh big homie over there at uh, that play for LSU, Dante <laughs> Jackson, Dante Jackson. But other than that, I'm not really sure. I'm not going to pretend like I know much about uh, their fifth round pick and down. But, uh, but those four that I just mentioned, I think will probably become starters for that defense. And I, I think it's interesting that they really commit truly to the side. And that's just, I think, the personality of Matt Rule is he wants to have a physical team on the field. And obviously, he looked at the current defense that he had and knew he couldn't accomplish that with that group of guys. So yeah. Went after it that way. Yeah, well, this was a defense that got old fast. And we kept saying that, that this was an elite defense that within the span of like two seasons got really old and slow. So they needed that big injection of talent. And I really don't hate it. It's like the fantasy football draft the year after all your running backs get hurt and you're playing waiver wire guys, you go into it. And you're like, I'm going to draft running backs for the first five picks. And you just hammer the running back market. That's kind of what the Panthers did. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with it, dude. And look, So are they I the they team also, to watch? Uh, not for me, not just no. yet. But I think that they're in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, like I was saying, just real quick, my last point on what they did. I, you know, I, I'm with it. And, and the reason I'm with it is because obviously he recognizes the offensive talent in the, in the South. And he knows that if you can't at least slow the opposite team down. Can't get a stop, right? You don't stand a chance. So, uh, yeah. So I think and I don't think it, did. it may not have been intentional. It may be the way their board fell. We just won't know that. Yeah, no, we, we don't. But, uh, again, they kind of went after the offensive free agency. Like I said, Robbie Anderson added him to DJ Moore and, and Curtis Samuel. Obviously, Teddy Bridgewater to run the offense uh, under center. And, and, and they brought in, I think, two linemen, if I'm not mistaken, to, uh, right. to kind of try to solidify. The offensive line. So I think they're a team that potentially can be heading in the right direction, uh, but I don't give it to them just yet. Now, yeah. the last team, um, I don't want to buy into the hype too much. I think it's, it's really easy to do that when you look at the roster, okay, on paper. But I'll make my point for the Bucks in the end here. Um, they start off with really one of my favorite prospects, prospects in this year's draft, Tristan Wirfs, tackle out of Iowa. Uh, and then they come back and they, and they Stab your boy in the chest, dude. I wanted Antoine Winfield Jr. so bad in the black and gold. Just <laughs> not that we need a safety, but I just think he's a dynamic player and, again, can play multiple positions in the secondary. They turn around and get him in the second round. Um, and then in the third round and fourth round – I'm sorry, fifth round, not the fourth. But in the third round, they get Keyshawn Vaughn running back out of Vanderbilt. I think that'll be interesting. Can he beat out Ronald Jones? And then in the fifth, they bring in Tyler Johnson, a pretty productive receiver out of Minnesota. Uh, we'll see how he does in terms of maybe potentially being that, that third receiver in that group with uh, with Mike Evans and Chris Goblin. But 
through the draft, I think obviously the first two guys are going to be day one starters for him. I just look at the Bucks as a whole and I say, okay, I think they're the most likely to jump the Saints. And it obviously starts with bringing in Tom. I just, has his skill set diminished any? I'm sure you can make the case for that. Um, but I think just his football knowledge will, will make the, the biggest difference for, for Tampa Bay. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously coached up by Bruce Arians, um, Tampa Bay, not so much Tom Brady, but Tampa Bay, I think having that kind of coach is going to give that team, that's a young team, the, uh, the confidence, so to speak, to go at any team, any given week, and now you're being led by Tom Brady versus Jameis Winston. I think yeah. it's going to play, play dividends for them. Um, the key players that were added, I already brought up Tom Brady, but then you bring in Rob Gronkowski to bring in Tom Brady's blanket. Um, and like I said, Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield, I think are going to be day one contributors. But the, the next element of that for me with Tampa is the players that I expect to take the next step. Okay. Uh, Chris Godwin, as good as he was last year, I think it could be even better. And I solely put that on Tom Brady, right? Um, what we saw him do with Jameis was incredible, no doubt. But can he be even better with the quarterback like Tom? Um, not so much I'm saying vertical game, but just overall game. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think he has a chance to, to be even better. And then I look interior line there with Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen, the center guard combination. I think those two guys with another year working next to each other, I think we'll continue to build in that chemistry and that you'll see some strength in that. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, Vita Vea, I expect him to take the next step. Devin White. Shaquille Barrett, can he repeat and had the sack production that he had last year? And then the cornerback pairing of Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy Bunton, uh, I think is another one that two young guys, one drafted last year, one drafted the year prior, can they continue to solidify um, that chemistry with one another and, and, and kind of play at a higher level? So those are some players that I have to watch in terms of those guys taking that next step that I think could only add to the chance that Tampa Bay as a whole can, can take a step forward. Do I think they outright come in and take it from the Saints? No, because I still think they're they're still young, and I think that still has some of the camaraderie to be built. But they have the best chance based upon the additions, the the young players that are taking the next step, um, and just the coach that's running it. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you don't want to crown anybody like right off the bat. Sure. You don't want to right. just because you win the off season. Because look, Tampa Bay's won the off season a couple of years in a row now. And yeah. continue to kind of underachieve. But the question, honestly, is going to be what is Brady at this point in his career? Because this was a team that was in a lot of close games last year, put up a lot of points in a lot of games, um, has always played the Saints close. But they were, the straw that always broke the camel's back was the Jameis turnovers. And, any, I mean, any time you have a quarterback that turns the ball over 30 times, you just can't win. Obviously, Brady cuts down on those turnovers. There's no way. The question is, does Brady still have 5,030 in his arm? And can he elevate the offense to the heights? I mean, the just straight-up heights that Jameis brought this offense to at some point. Um, that's going to be the interesting question. The Gronk like, addition doesn't get me all that excited, but it's – what is Brady? That's the real question. I think you make a great point. Is he the 5,030 guy? Um, I do think he's the 30 guy simply because of the weapons around him. Okay. Would it shock me at all if he threw 35 touchdowns? No. Nope. Now, the yardage perspective, maybe. Uh, just, from a sim- just from solely 
him throwing the football to the point of the catch, right? Um, <laughs> but those guys around him could easily Are that good. bring his passing yards up. So mm-hmm. I think uh, I just – I don't know, man. I, I just look at it with Bruce Arians and, and how much we respect him and his ability to run not only a team, but he all, the offensive side of the football – you know Tom Brady is Tom Brady. I understand that his arm may have come down a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think his knowledge of the game and with those skill players, he's never had a group of guys like this. Yeah. Um, we talk about the, the the top three and and Evans, Godwin, and, and Gronk, but you you know you talk about okay, we well, still got OJ Howard. There was trade talks, but it never happened. You still have Cameron Brady. You still have uh, Scotty Miller. He was coming on. You had the kid out of Minnesota. I'm still not crazy about the running back situation for him, but maybe Ronald Jones takes the next step or maybe Keyshawn, the draft pick, comes in and takes it outright. So I think that um, Brady's no, had right. a couple of years here and there where he has had, uh, I don't want to say equal talent, but has had guys, maybe three guys in the offense from a weapons perspective that were elite. And those yeah. those years tended to be pretty favorable for Tom Brady. So oh, I think it's uh, definitely fair to say this is the best team he's ever played on. From a I talent so. perspective, from a, from a talent perspective, just yeah, raw, sheer yeah. talent. Yeah, I think this is the best team he's ever played on. It's it's up there. It's up. Right. There. It's like a fantasy football roster. Sure. So, yeah. Now, so do you think? Are you with me that the Bucks? With those additions. Oh, they're the they, biggest they threat. The There's no doubt. To, this is the best iteration of the NFC South we've seen in a long time as well. I agree because, again, going back to Atlanta, um, it's not too often that you see an offense have 11 first-rounders on it. And <laughs> I think there's something to that. I mean, right. I know uh, you could say, well, what if they're a bust? Yeah, maybe, but I don't think they are. I think that they just have to find their identity and roll with it. And yeah. if Todd Gurley's healthy – Man, we might have to look up. Not to mention, uh, no, never mind. I had a different thought there. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we can. I think we've made our point. This is a very good yeah. NFC South. And probably the best NFC South we've seen in a while. Um, a while, right. So it'll be interesting. Sure. So let's wrap this thing up. F- quick five minutes on the Green Bay Packers. I mean, come on. Like, is there any more evidence we need that Aaron Rodgers is literally an unworkable person like it's on <laughs> it's impossible to work with this guy and so much so that Matt LaFleur is like I'm willing to throw this entire season away because Aaron Rodgers is going to throw a hissy fit and then I'm moving on to love that's what's happening <laughs> and just, like the just, ultimate middle finger to Aaron Rodgers you win what 12 games 13 games last year 13 you 13. were that close you were that close and what is the obvious reason this team cannot win more or get over the hump is because Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones are literally all they have. And <laughs> Matt LaFleur in this front office, rather than helping Aaron Rodgers out, draft his replacement, draft Aaron Jones' replacement. Well, not probably not even a replacement because nah, apparently this guy can't catch. This guy can't play modern-day NFL football. They drafted Brandon <laughs> Jacobs. What? <laughs> Who's running the Green Bay Packers? <laughs> yeah, I think what, what I got a kick out of with, with Green Bay was, you know, when they did take Jordan Love with the first pick, um, I knew that there was a lot of depth in this, in this draft at the receiver position. That was, that was clearly advertised. And right. uh, so I wasn't really overreacting to that. I was like, well, look, uh, maybe they didn't have the receiver that 
that at that pick, they didn't have a receiver that separated himself enough from guys in the second round or third round. So go get your future quarterback. That's fine. And then come back and get your receiver. But when they took the running back, I think that was the bigger thing for me is when they took A.J. Dillon, Boston Scott, uh, in Boston College running back with the second pick. I was like, oh, damn. Like, How many? All right. Now, now I'd be a, if I was a Packers fan, I'm starting to get a little upset because your two best players or two of your three best players are obviously Rodgers and um, oh yeah, and Jones. And beyond Rodgers, like beyond Rodgers, you said it best. If I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, I'm done. I'm done with this team because I have to watch <laughs> Devin Funches as my number two wide receiver next year. Like, yeah. get a grasp on that. Get a grasp on the fact that in 2020, we're going to watch Devin Funches still. <laughs> they just hope at this point, some team with, with 10 receivers on the roster has to get, re- you know, has to release a few of them and they can snag them. Um, but real quick though, but I, I did want to just say this in terms of, uh, cause I know we're about to wrap this up. The team that I thought won the draft overall, I, I think it's kind of a toss up. Uh, I thought the Dallas Cowboys, as much as I hate to say it, I thought they had a really good draft. Yeah. And I think the Baltimore Ravens as well had a phenomenal draft. Um, I think there's a chance looking at it, comparing the two, I think both of them are great. Okay. But I think there's a chance that the Cowboys actually had a draft that we had four years ago. Yeah. I think there's that a chance kind of that just the whole hall is going to work Franchise out. changing hall. Yeah. yeah. I think in, in some, some way, shape, or form, dude, they get C.D. Lamb at pick 17 or whatever it was. That was unreal. And then they, they come back with Trevon Dix, corner out of Alabama. Uh, Neville Gallimore, defensive tackle out of Oklahoma. Reggie Robinson, cornerback out of Tulsa, who most of the uh, most of the – professionals so to speak were saying that this guy Reggie Robinson was uh most improved player of the year uh as a whole in terms of all the prospects coming into his last year at Tulsa and then they end up with one of my favorite guys I really like uh Tyler Bada as a center out of Wisconsin I know I said that last name wrong um but again just a nitty-gritty guy and I think he may have a chance to beat out Looney their, their current starting center after uh Fredrickson retired and then they, they ended up with uh, Bradley and I, a defensive end and productive guy out of Utah that has a chance to rotate in and the defensive line because opposite of uh, Demarcus Lawrence is your boy uh, Alden Smith. So there's a chance that he can get in there and make some contributions day one too. So I think there's a chance, there's a chance that that group of players uh, are either going to make me look really smart or really dumb. But I think there's a chance that they can they can be a big haul for for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, well, there you go, Jerry. We'll see. We'll see. Especially when he doesn't re-sign Dak and then trades half of those players for Aaron Rodgers next year. That's going to be <laughs> – Yeah, that, that's going to be the move. Wild run. <laughs> I'm waiting to see Rodgers end up in uh, New England, my man. Yeah, something. Uh, he won't be there. That's a fact. So. All right, dude. I think that's all we got. Yeah, that's a wrap, dude. All right. We'll see you all next time. We'll see you later. Who that?